Well, before we quite get into First Kings, as you could imagine, um, over the past several weeks, my wife and I have been thinking a lot about adoption. And, and Joshua and Katrina are kind of uh, going through the same process right now. And yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, coming from large churches, you know, a couple of my uh, old churches that I used to work for, they, they've started adoption ministries, which is really cool when you have, you know, 3,000 and 10,000 and 20,000 people. You can do things like that. But here in our little church at the same time, we have two different, uh, uh, two different families going through this process. So we're starting an adoption ministry. So if you want to get on board... Um, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun, but we finally broke the, the news to, to Brandon, and we we're trying to do it gently, you know, he's four, and we said, well, how would you like to be a big brother and have a little brother at home? And he thinks really hard, he gets this look on his face, he's just like, and he goes, I'm concerned, and I'm thinking, where did you learn that word? Certainly not for me. I'm concerned he will take my toys. That's pretty smart. We said, well, we'll separate that out. We'll, we'll keep that, you know, he'll have his toys, you'll have your toys, and then you can slowly give some away to him. And then he thinks again, he gets this look on his face, he goes, I might run him over. <laughs> well, you're, you're old enough, you can stop, you know, we will, we'll deal with that. Then he thinks one more time, then he goes, it might be easier just to get a doggy. <laughs> so there you go, our little puppy instead. So. But as, I, you know, as I've been going through this and thinking about this, I'm really, really relating to the Lord and how the Lord has adopted us as children. And that's, we, we see that throughout the, the, the Old Testament, New Testament, the concept of the Lord adopting us into his family. And one thing that struck me, it's really easy to adopt a really cute, adorable little baby, isn't it? It's not so easy to adopt a, an adorable and not so cute 40-year-old. You know what I'm saying? God adopts us, not because we're cute and cuddly. He adopts us because he loves his children. That just struck me. He adopted us when we were older because his heart goes out to not just the cute and cuddly, his heart goes out to every human being. So I was sitting with this and I started thinking about, uh, you know, all the really cool things about our Heavenly Father and, and how I want to emulate him through this process, when, you know, really in life whenever I can. So I came up with a short list of things that, that the Lord, you know, just, uh, you know, that our Father just does for us. And, and they all happen to start with P for some reason, and I don't do that all, you know, I don't do the alliteration thing. I think it's alliteration, if, is that the right word? Where they all start with the same letter? Okay, anyway, I'll just keep going, you know, just stare at me like I'm an idiot. Um, but uh, there, there's, you know, several things the Lord does for us. One, He provides for us. He gives us provision. I mean, He supplies all our needs when we allow Him to. And then secondly, he protects us, just like we do with our children. Uh, you know, he, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That is such a cool thought and reality when we allow it. One, he, he is all-powerful. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My son thinks I'm the, you know, the strongest man in the world, and I'm going let to let him think that until he you know, figures it out that I'm not. But he thinks, I'm all strong. Well, we serve a God who is the most powerful. That's really cool. 
And then lastly, a plan. We all have plans for our children. But our Lord, He says, I have a plan for you, a hope and a future. Not a plan that will harm you, but a good plan. I want you to be my child, and I want you to follow me, he basically says. So I'm trying to, as I go through life, and I hit different things and go through different situations, I try to relate those back to the Lord. And, and what, the reason why I tell you all this is because I want you to do the same. As you go through struggles, as you go through trials, as you go through celebrations and happy times, relate those back to how the Lord relates to you. And that is how we learn from Him. That is how we learn from Him. Well, let's jump into 1 Kings. We're going to be in 8.22. As we've been going through the, the beginning of 1 uh, Kings, we're going to, this week and next week, we're going to finish up Solomon's part of this book and, and go on to some other things. But Solomon has, has built the temple. We went through the process of, of Solomon becoming king from you know, King David, the great handover from, from King David handing it to Solomon, and Solomon starting out strong and, and saying, I'm going to follow your ways, Lord. I'm going to do these things. And, and Solomon's giving back to the Lord of, of part of what he has and, and what the Lord's given him. He's given back. He's, he's uh, tied back to the Lord and, and so forth. But in 1 Kings 8.22, this is right after Solomon has built the temple. He says this prayer, and all of Israel is gathered at this point. It's a huge celebration. And he says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, and in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven, and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above, on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to serve uh, to, to your servant David, my father, and with your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. You have kept your promises, God. You have done the things that you said you were going to do. It does what he thinks he ought to do. You know, uh, in other words, uh, Solomon's just not out there doing what he ought to do. Solomon's following the path, and he's saying, God, you have kept your promises. He says, there is no God like you. He's saying, you're, you are the only true God. I mean, we, we may think that that was a given with the new temple. Of course he felt this way. I mean, of course. But Israel was already following other gods. Israel had not cleared out the land like, like God had asked them to when they came into the promised land. So many of them had been led astray, and they were worshiping Molech and, and other gods. And we're going to talk about some of that next week and some of the gods that, that they end up uh, going toward. They're already strained from the Lord. But the Lord is faithful. He also says that you keep your covenant of love with those who wholeheartedly are in your ways, Lord. So if we follow wholeheartedly, if we, if we follow the Lord, look at the Lord and say, Yes, Lord, you are my God. I choose you. I give my life over to you. I follow you wholeheartedly. And that can mean a whole bunch of things. But that basically means in every facet of your life, the Lord is involved somehow. Now, some facets, you know, it's, it's a lot, and some are a little, and we're working on those that are a little, right? I, I should see shaking heads, because we need to work on those, right? Absolutely. We all have those areas. If we follow wholeheartedly, then our lives are blessed. And in verse 29, he continues to see things and, and hear things. He, he says, Solomon you know, starts this theme of, of the eyes and the ears, seeing things and hearing things. And in verse 30, he says, may your eyes be open toward the temple night and day. 
Hear the supplication of your servant, of your, of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. This is an awesome concept. This is a great concept. Solomon is starting out well here. Here we have a king that is interceding for his people, exercising great leadership. And almost everyone in this room has been called to some form of leadership in your life. You may not be the CEO of the biggest company in the world. You know what I'm saying? But you are called to some form of leadership in your life, whether it's family, whether it's work, whether it's your children. Whatever area of leadership it is, pay attention to this. Because one of the, one of the key things a healthy leader can do is have a, a relationship with the Lord that intercedes for those that they are leading. To pray for those that, are, that you are over. To pray for them by name. You may not even tell them that you're praying for them. Because I know that can be dicing in, in different corporations, as, as liberal as our corporations get. If you're in the, you know, in the white-collar world, as you would say, and you go to somebody in the office and say, I'm praying for you, and, and you tell them why you're praying for them, they may get upset and go to, you know, go to uh, oh, what's it called? Um, man, you guys know, don't you? It's happened, huh? <laughs> they may go to HR. They may say, hey, they're just weird. Deal with them. I don't want to hear this talk. They're trying to do, you pull something. You know, they, so people may even get upset about that. So you don't even have to tell them, but you need to pray for them. It's good for, for those that we can tell to know that we're praying for them. It's good for our children to understand that we're praying for them. We tell Brandon all the time, we're praying for you. We're praying that, that you will grow up and follow the, the ways that you should grow up. You should do what daddy says. You should do what mommy says. We thank you for doing that. We're trying to encourage him in those areas. He knows that we're praying for him. Solomon is a great example here. But, you know, Not if, but when we're going to fail, Solomon says basically, forgive us. Hear us when we come back to you. Let this place be known as a, a place of mercy and grace, forgiveness and love and acceptance, not condemnation. Don't let this be a, just a religious organization where, where you feel condemned right when you, you, know, you walk through the doors and you're already feeling like, man, the, the walls may fall down. If they feel condemned, let it, let it be from you, not us, Lord. Let this temple be a place of forgiveness. And then he goes on in verse 31, he says, When a man wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath, and he comes and swears the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing down on his head what he has done. Declare the innocent not guilty, and so establish his innocence. Anytime there's a problem between us, Lord, you need to help solve it. This is like a loving daddy with two siblings that fight. You know, I grew up with four brothers, and it was always fun. You know, we were always on each other's case. And, you know, dad and mom served as that, no, you're wrong, no, you're right uh, kind of attitude, you know, and, and direction for us. But sometimes it wasn't about who was right or wrong. It was about what the situation was and how it was handled. We may be in the right, but we may be, you know, handling it completely wrong. And we need God to say, hey, you need to back off. Or, hey, you, you are correct on this. Bring truth and, 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 you know, to the situation. Preserve the relationship. 
Because really that's what, what the key is, preserving the relationship. Too often, too many churches, too many Christians, ours included, almost every church, when we get mad at somebody, what happens? We break that relationship. Well, I'm mad at Joe, so I'm not going to sit on that side of the church that Joe sits on. I'm not even going to talk to Joe. I may even leave the church because Joe shows up on his motorcycle. Unbelievable. What a sinner. I mean, that's, that's how we are. That's where our, our attitudes go, right? No, no I, I like motorcycles. I just, my wife's never going to let me. Okay, so anyway. But preserving the relationship is, is what's key for God, and that's what he's saying here. And he goes on in verse 33, and he says, When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you. He's saying they will go through times of defeat. There will be, you know, this case, he's kind of talking about war, but there's other kinds, kinds of defeat in our lives, isn't there? There's other things that we go through, and it's kind of defeated us and taken us over. And when we're feeling defeated and, and beat down, when we have lost the battle, when we want to come back, but all the fight has kind of left us, we are just defeated. Man, Lord, at that time, minister to us. Forgive us. Allow us to come back in relationship with you. That is so key. That's such a great prayer for Solomon. And if you're trying to get our attention by allowing defeat in our lives, he goes on and says, and when, you turn your, uh, and when they turn back to you and confess your name, praying and making supplication to you at the temple, then hear from heaven and forgive, uh, forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land that you gave to their fathers. As David says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Verse 35, it says, when the heavens are shut up, and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. You know, that verse right there makes me think of California. Man, are we in a drought because of our past actions? Man, I, you know, God is God of everything, right? He is the God of the weather. He is the God of the ocean. He is the God of everything. We even see the manipulation in the life of Elijah. He, he prays and he stops rain for three and a half years. The, and, and this land is, is very arid over in Israel. I mean, if, you, if it stops raining for three and a half months, you start feeling it. A little different than out here in, in California, a, a little. Though we're feeling it now after about three years. But when they turn from their sin, he says, hear them, forgive them. And teach them and send rain, by the way, he says down in verse 36. And then verse 37, he says, When famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew. When you have shower scum in your life, you know the mildew that shows up in your shower? When you have that to enter your, your life here, when the mildew comes, Lord, locusts or grasshoppers, or when the enemy besieges them, you know what he's saying? Whatever negative circumstance happens to come and hit you, he's going, Lord, that you have allowed in our lives. Help us see something that you have allowed. And in the middle of all your good purpose, it is for a good reason. So instead of us whining and crying and complaining about it, 
and turning from you and rebelling from you and shaking our fists going, Lord, why did you allow this? Help us do the opposite and say, Lord, okay, now you have my attention. Now you've got my attention. Something's going on here, Lord. You're allowing this to happen. So therefore, what do you want to tell me? Does the Lord have your attention? Some of us may say, man, I think God is trying because there's mildew in my life. There's pestilence. There's blight. And we think, Lord, if you love us so much, if you, if you just, you know, the, the Bible's all about overwhelming love of God. Why would you allow this, this pestilence? Why would you allow this blight into my life? Why would you allow me to go through this famine or, or lack of rain or sickness? And it says down in verse 38, each one aware of the afflictions of his own heart. So God will use a plague to illustrate a plague. God will use a, a mil, you know, mildew to illustrate a mildewed heart. You understand what I'm saying here? God allows something to happen in our lives, and God's sometimes, and not always, sometimes God's going, that's because that's how our relationship is. God allows no rain to say, hey guys, when I did rain, you didn't grow. You were a plant, but you allowed weeds. You didn't take care of it. God would use a famine to show a famine with him. God would use a drought to show a drought in our relationship with him. God would actually use these things to draw us near to him. And that is an awesome thing, yet we look at it as so negative. You've got to remember, God's number one motivation is what? Well, it's why he sent his son. To draw, you know, to draw us to himself. God is not doing this to push us away. As we discipline our children, do we do it to push them away? Absolutely not. We don't want that. We, we don't want to break in that relationship. But we also don't want that attitude and action from that child either. Now, put ourselves in that situation. God's sitting there going, I want to draw you near to me, but I'm not going to allow you to continue to act that way without some discipline in your life. See, the only one doing the pushing is, is you. He's a daddy who says, come sit in my lap. Let me hold you. You can trust me. I love it when Brandon jumps up in the chair with me, sits down with me, and, and we just joke around, and he likes to do stuff like burp in my ear and all sorts of fun stuff. Unfortunately, the other day, he sat down with mommy, and he looked at her, and he goes, we both fit in the chair. And I'm like, oh, man. He doesn't quite fit with me in the chair. We may say, well, the circumstances in my life doesn't, feel, doesn't make it feel like that God loves me. Well, I would say maybe the circumstances are the issue. Maybe your circumstances that you got yourself into are the issue, and it's not God. Because he has a better plan, a better hope a better future for us if we allow him into our lives and if we follow his path. Sometimes we have to go, okay, Lord, I'm not on your path. How do I get over there? Give me a roadmap here. And the Lord says, okay, do this, this, and this. And you're, you're kind of back on the track. Second Chronicles 7, he says, and I, I didn't put this in here, I don't think. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek 
my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal the land. God's promises are right there. When we turn back to him, he's ready to heal. He's ready to, to, to change the circumstances in our life when we finally start to recognize him. Well, back in 1 Kings, um, it says, Each one aware of their own afflictions of their hearts and spreading out their hands toward the temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. And, and we kind of see Solomon's theme going through here. Forgive and act. Deal with each man according to all he does, since you know his heart, for you alone know the heart's of men or all men. Solomon has a great understanding that God will use problems in our life to bring us to him. Yet it's interesting. Solomon now is about 27 years old. He started building the temple when he was 20, and by the time he got finished, it was seven years later, and he is going through the, the most successful time in his life up to you know, his age point. And this is fascinating. He is praying this prayer when he is on top. He's saying, God, help us when we are down. Help us when we go through those times of famine. Most of the time, we don't think about those times when we're on top, right? Or we have the attitude of, well, something's going to happen because life is too good right now which is a terrible attitude to have. Israel is doing so well right here. In fact, they're doing as good as they will ever do, I think. It's not a better time to be an Israelite than in 1 Kings chapter 8 here. Okay, maybe a few other times. I mean, Jesus entering, you know, being at the temple, living during the time of Jesus. Okay, but I'm talking about the Old Testament and so forth. Not a better time for Israel There's a difference between punishment and judgment. There's a difference between discipline and judgment. See, my prayer for my son is is and the new little one that we're going to get soon, that I hope they appreciate the discipline. Now, they're not going to appreciate the discipline right when it's happening. I understand that. I mean, Brandon even now will go, when he's mad at me, he will go find a place under a table, behind a chair, in his room, and he will sit there and he will mumble. Now, the worst thing for me to do is go, what did you say? Because, I mean, that's our natural inclination, right? Don't, 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 I don't want to hear another word. A little bit of my dad there. I don't want to hear another word. But sometimes we need to allow that, that moment to allow, you know, to, to them to just process But they won't appreciate it in the moment, just like I didn't appreciate my father when he disciplined me. And I was a great kid. promise, I I tell you, I really was. Okay, compared to my other three brothers, I was a great kid. But when we go through it, we don't appreciate it. So after the discipline, when Brandon's talking in his bed, you know, I just need to let that frustration go out. Because there's a difference between punishment and judgment is the attitude that's behind it. God isn't sending us to hell because we slipped up. He says, no, that is inappropriate. You just get a timeout for right now. You know, we think timeouts for kids. But sometimes God goes, okay, now, Alan, I'm going to put you on the sideline for right now. Because, yeah, you need to adjust that attitude, boy. You need to adjust it. It's the attitude behind it. God's not going to send us to hell because of all the bad things we've done in the past. No. 
Those have already been taken care of because of the cross. God is already, you know, doesn't act like that. If God was going to judge us for the stuff we pulled, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. There would be a lot more bolts of, you know, bolts of lightning hitting people here on this earth. Oh, that one messed up. Zip! Gone. Problem over. We all deserve the bolt of lightning. Uh, bolt of lightning. You know what I'm saying? But that doesn't mean he won't discipline us. Why does a good dad discipline us? He wants us to mature. That's what God does for us. Then in verse 41, he goes and he says, As for a foreigner, in other words, a non-Jew, a Gentile, who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, and when he comes and prays toward this temple, then hear from heaven." This is Solomon here, the king of Israel saying, a foreigner will come, a non-Jew, at this temple praying to God, and God is supposed to listen. This is, very, this is not a concept that Jews understand, especially back then. He says, your dwelling place, and, and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear God. I mean, wow, is this not the heart of God? Solomon is, is including anyone who seeks God here. He says the same thing in verse 57 uh, through 60. May the, may the Lord our God be with us. So that, uh, in verse 60, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Wow. The blessing of the only God is pouring out on Israel in 966 B.C. Or more like 57 or 56 now that the temple's built. He has a purpose beyond just blessing them. Now I want to qualify this before I move on. The main reason God blesses us is because He is our dad. He is our dad. That is it. You don't have to pay God back. He just loves you that much. I'm not keeping track of every, t- you know, every hot wheel that i you know, buy for Brandon just so that one day he can pay me back. Though that is a good idea. God loves giving us stuff. It is in his, you know, his heart. But secondly, he blesses us so we can turn around and bless others. And we can, we can demonstrate God's heart toward other people. He blessed Israel to show who he was. The other nations were going to envy Israel. And they'd be like, wow, I, I want to be blessed like that. Wow, that, that Christian, they're a Christian, right? That Christian, I want to, I want to follow them. I mean, they're, they're being blessed. I want some of that. Here's God's intention. And you need to ask yourself how, how well Israel did with this. The first thing was he would lay out what is expected of us. It's very clear. God's intention is to lay out his expectations of how we should live. If you don't know what God expects out of your life, you haven't been reading the Bible. It's it's pretty clear. Secondly, that his people would obey him and serve him and spend time with him wholeheartedly. See, the key word there is wholeheartedly. 
that everything that we would do, everything in our heart, soul, mind, and strength, those things would be for the God wholeheartedly. And then number three, that he would bless us abundantly because he wouldn't have to discipline us. Man, you know, we, Brandon's been great this last week. He's been asking for a new toy. So we finally went down. I'm thinking, okay, I'll just go get, you know, something small. We go to Target, and he's so excited. He's like, not a Lego, Daddy. I have too many Legos. And I'm like, yes! Um, but uh, he finally finds this truck that he, he just loves. In fact, he had to bring it to church with him this morning. So he's got it in a little bag over there. He's all excited about it. And he came home, and, and, and about an hour later, he comes up, and he goes, Daddy, thank you so much for buying me my new toy. And I'm like, that's, that's a good thing. I'm thinking, maybe we've kind of made that corner of, I want, I want, I want, and now that you've got me this, let, you know, buy me something else. I thought, great, we're, we're doing it until this morning. Then he goes searching through my wife's craft closet, and find some things that we hid in there, and, oh, I want to I build this little Lego, you know, little packages of Legos that we pull out every, you know, for little special occasions, and, oh, I went to, and then he's in there searching, and Lisa's like, well, there's nothing more in there, Brandon, but there's got to be another toy. I want another toy, and at that point, I'm like, boy, <laughs> see, God wants to bless us, but he wants our attitude to be right, and then finally, that his people would be a blessing to the world. God wants to bless us in his life, just like he wants to bless Israel, so the world would be attracted to him. The world would say, something is different about you, and you're being blessed. I want to know why you're being blessed, and I want to know why you're different, and therefore, I want to know what, and, and it gives us a chance and opportunity to, to, to witness to them, and that's a big word. We run away from that word. Well, I, I've never taken a witness class. I couldn't witness. You witness every day by how you live your life, what you do, how you respond, how you respond after you respond. All those things. That's witnessing. This is what God intended. And I don't think Israel ever got that, you know, that concept. They never adopted it, especially after Solomon died. Because I think Israel just really messed up here. Their appreciation... Um, you know, for God is not there. And the application comes home here. This is exactly what God planted for his people. He planted it for them, and they never harvested it. God expects his children to be his children. Does the world look at you this way? Does the world look at you and say something is different and it's not a, oh, something is different about them. It's more of like something is different. Are they attracted to that? Now, it takes time. It's not an instant thing. If you're not there, then start developing that relationship. But does the world say, man, I've got to get some of that? This person or that person, you know, they're not perfect, but there's something about them. They have a relationship with God that I want, a healthy respect, a healthy fear of God. It's like crawling up in daddy's lap, but, but knowing that dad wants us to obey him at the same time. And there's consequences if we don't. I think this is a great question for all of us to ask all the time. Is the world talking about us in those ways? Even with our reputation of the good, the bad, and the ugly, does the world look at us and say they're different, but in a good way? Hmm. Well, verse 46, 
goes on and says, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you became angry with them and give them over to their enemy, in other words, they'll be taken captive in their own land, and they'll be taken from their own land far away or near. And, and, if, you, and if, they change, if they have a change of heart in the land where, where, they were held, where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their uh, conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, and they turn back to you in their heart, with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who take them captive... Then verse 51, for, there, for they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron-smelting furnace. May your eyes be open to your servant's plea and, the, and to the plea of your people Israel. May you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. For you have singled them out from all the nations, all the nations of the world, to be your own inheritance, just as declared through your servant Moses when you, O sovereign Lord, brought out or brought our fathers out of Egypt. God, even when we get taken captive, and they will later, this is very prophetic, happens hundreds of years from this point. Very interesting, Solomon's praying this prayer. And he goes on in verse 54, when Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice, saying, Praise be to the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed for all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments, decrees, and regulations He gave our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that He may uphold the, uh, the cause of His servant and the cause of the people Israel according to each day's needs, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. But our hearts must be fully committed to the Lord, our God, to live by the decrees and obey His commands as at this time. And everyone said amen, and they said truly. That's what amen means. It means truly. It means I agree. That a celebration that lasted over two weeks, that would have been fun. And they all go home. They get this blessing from the king. They're very happy. God is blessing them because of David and because of Solomon's action. You know, David's been, you know, dead for 11 years, and they're still saying, man, we are blessed through David. It's an interesting comp, uh, concept. The, the impact of your life is, is beyond. It won't, you know, it won't just stop when your heart stops beating. The impact lives beyond that. And your children, sometimes in your children's children, it just keeps going. Many of us uh, are in a blessing of, of God as a result of those who have gone before us. Maybe it was grandma, maybe it was mom that started going to church, and you're being blessed because of that in your relationship with God. You know, some of us will say, I probably wouldn't even be here at church if, if my father hadn't been or his father hadn't been and so forth. Because you are here, you can pass it on to the next generation of family or friends or coworkers. Anyone you influence, you can pass on that blessing. Well, let's jump into chapter 9 real quick for a few minutes. It says, when Solomon had finished 
building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had achieved all that he desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. So God appeared earlier to Solomon. And here he comes again, which is really cool. The angel, anytime the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared, most of the time it's talking about God himself. He appeared to, to Joshua. He appeared to Moses. He appeared to, to Jacob. But he didn't appear to everyone all the time. I mean, this is, this is really a cool, special thing. It says here in verse 3, Then the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated the temple and built, which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eye and my heart will always be there. And God's using the same language that Solomon used in his prayer to him. It's kind of uh, cool. It's, it's like he's saying, I'm responding to you here. As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and, all, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws... I will establish your throne, uh, your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you of your sons turn away from me and do not observe these commands, or the commands and decrees I have given you, and you go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples, and through his temple is now, and though, though this temple is now imposing, all who pass will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. And that's exactly what we say about Israel today. We go and we look and we say, why is there a Muslim mosque there? Why is the Dome of the Rock there? Why has God allowed this to happen? Because they've forsaken their God. They've turned away from Him. God was going to use Israel to show the nations. And now, one way or another, God is going to use His church to show the nations. We are the primary teaching tools to the, to the people in this area. We, we, as in the churches of this area, we can either be a positive example or a negative example to the people of Tulare, to the people of you know, Central California. We can either be a positive thing or a negative thing. Obey and serve the Lord, and people will recognize you and that. And therefore, they'll recognize God. It may even take years, years. Don't ever give up praying for someone. Never. It may take, the, I mean, I know a friend of mine prayed for, for uh, since he was a little kid, prayed for a friend for 11 years. And they went all the way through college together and everything. And finally, after college, he accepted Christ. And he continued to pray for him. What a blessing that is. Never stop praying. But God is going to teach the world through us one way or another. It's the same with Israel. We have a tremendous responsibility. But he says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. We look at it as, how am I ever going to accomplish this? Well, with God's Spirit... It can be accomplished. 
You know, when, when you, you say you're a Christian, your cover's blown. You're like in a fishbowl. I mean, our lives are, are witnesses to God. I mean, what we, you know, what, what's overheard in our backyard from our neighbors, that's a witness. What is overheard at, at work or what they see you do at work, how you conduct yourself, that is a witness. And your happiness, that's a witness. And your irritation, that's a witness. When you're angry, how you handle yourselves and, 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 and react. You know, it's okay for someone to say, you know what, I expected you to act this way. You're a Christian. That should be a positive thing. God wants us to act on what we believe and how we live. God wants us to do that. We can worship the only God. We can serve the only God. We can obey the only God and have a terrific life, or we can do the opposite and have a terrible life. It's fascinating how many times God says uh, to Solomon, he'd been king 11 years, and God has said, if you walk before me integrity of heart and uprightness as your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish a royal throne over Israel forever. David said this to him through God in 1 Kings 2. In chapter 3, he hears it directly from God. Right after, right after that, he does this huge sacrifice uh, you know, to God. And God is like, I really appreciate your sacrifice. However, you still need to obey me and love me. Your sacrifice doesn't get you off the hook. Then in chapter 6, at the beginning of the building of the temple, and he's like, Solomon, this is really nice. Now, I want you to love me. I want you to obey me. I want you to serve me. I want you to to trust me. And again now in chapter 9, God's intentions are very clear. Solomon, the most important thing is not what you have done for me or what you will do for me. Not what you give me. Not how you use your, your wisdom. Not how you rule the country Israel. Those things are important, but that is not the most important The most important is that you love me, obey me, and worship me with your whole heart. This rings true in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's intention for us is to love him with our whole heart. And he wants to bless us. Like he said to to Saul through Samuel, God doesn't want sacrifices. He wants obedience. To obey is better than to sacrifice. The old Keith Green song, for some of you that might be a little older, remember him. To obey is better than sacrifice. That comes from from Samuel. Does that mean that sacrifice is bad or giving is bad? No. But it means that that can't be in exchange for our wholeheartedness or wholeheartedly following God. Why does God keep repeating himself to Solomon? For the same reason he repeats himself to us. We like to run things the way we like to run things and not the way God wants to run things. Well, Solomon is really blessed. Even the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon because she learns about him. We think the Queen of Sheba is down from the Yemen area, and, and you know they were worshiping the moon god there, and and you know, but Solomon's fame spreads all over the place. We're going to talk about a lot about that next week. But she finds she basically finds out he's the total package. 
I mean, he's wise, he's good looking, he's got all these things going for him, he's rich, and she's like, I want to go meet this guy. Gets him in trouble later, but I'm just saying. She shows up in chapter 10, and she pours out you know, her heart to him, and he listens to her. And she's like falling all, you know, next thing you know, they're an item. But it says here, when the queen of Sheba heard about the famous Solomon in the relation to the name of the Lord, she came in to test him with hard questions, arriving at Jerusalem with a great caravan, with camels carrying spices, the large quantities of gold and precious stones. She came to Solomon and talked with him about all that was on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for, for the king to explain to her. And you see the, the attraction starting to happen. I mean, she, she liked him, but not only for his looks, he was impressive. And he was. He was very wise. God gave that wisdom to him. It says, when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom Solomon and the palace uh, he had built, the food on his table, seating of his officials, the, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made to the temp, at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She was beside herself. She's ready to faint. <gasps> She said to the king, the report I heard from my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. And all the other men have been just disappointments. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half of uh, was told to me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I've heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials. You continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And then they do this whole $40 million exchange that he gives her all these jewelry, you know, all this stuff and everything. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in all of those the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. I mean, it just keeps going. In chapter 10, verse 22, God blesses Solomon with a, a fleet of ships. And uh, Hiram that we talked about last week was involved. They literally were taking ships. And they've done this in Greece and different places down in the Suez Canal. And they're literally taking ships out of the water, rolling them on logs to get them across the little isthmus there and, and put it back in the water. I mean, this was a huge thing that they were doing. The first maiden voyage for, for, for Israel brought back $140 million in gold. They actually started a zoo for Solomon because all the animals they were bringing back over from Africa and around the world. Solomon did a lot of business, and he was a world economic power. In 40 years, I mean, David was powerful, but I mean... This is like America at the beginning, I mean, at the end of World War II. All of a sudden, we were just kind of isolationist. We were kind of, you know, World War I was there, but we thought it was the end of everything. And, and World War II, we're trying to stay out. And then at the end of World War II, we're like the ultimate superpower against Russia. This is what's going on with Solomon. All of a sudden, he is the world's superpower. And God bless Solomon. It says the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold and robes and weapons and spices and horses and mules, almost like Solomon had a set rate. If you want to come ask me a question, you want to hear my wisdom, show up with this, and then I'll let you in the door. 
Well, what was Solomon going to do? How did he do? Did it work out good for him or bad? Well, show up next week and you'll find out. (laughs) Or read ahead, one of the two. Well, let's stand as the worship team comes. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you bless us like you bless Solomon. That when we listen to you, when we wholeheartedly go your way, that you bless us. We, we ask for that. We pray that we, we um, respond to your discipline in our lives. That we respond in a positive way, in a good way. Because your wisdom is infinite. Your, your understanding is far beyond anything that we can understand. And, and sometimes we just don't understand, Lord, and, and you need to help us out in that. We, we, we pray that we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. But, Lord, we pray that as, as we increase, that you increase even more. That we actually decrease out of it. That it becomes more about you than us. And that people see us in a, in a light that they've never seen us. And they want to know more about what makes us tick. And we can say, I'm glad you asked. And we can tell them about you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you beyond measure. And may you show the world his grace and his mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.